you know by heart, but if everyone could stand for the reading of God's word. The first scripture is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The second scripture is 1 Peter 3.15. I'm sorry, I said the first one wrong, didn't I? It was, okay, did I say it right? Yeah. Okay. So the second one is is 1 Peter 3.15. And it says... But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Who would you love enough to give one of your children or grandchildren for? Yeah, tough question. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live for him. God answered that question, didn't he? Who would you love enough to give one of your children for your only child? Um, How many of you will admit that there are movies that make you cry? Oh, good. Have, Have you ever seen Saving Private Ryan? That movie makes me cry. In the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan, we find ourselves in an American military cemetery in present-day Normandy, France. An older Ryan, Private Ryan, accompanied by his family, searches for one particular grave, that of Captain John Miller. And when he finds it, he's overcome with emotion. And his memory sweeps back in time to D-Day, the 6th of June, 1944. After fighting in the Battle of Omaha Beach on D-Day, veteran Captain John Miller is sent on a World War II rescue mission. He is supposed to find paratrooper Private James Ryan and bring him home. Ryan's three brothers have all been killed in action, and the Army wants him returned to his family as he's now the sole surviving son. The paratroops of the 101st Airborne are scattered far and wide, and finding Ryan proves far from easy. Eight hard-bitten rangers are joined by an interpreter, Corporal Upham. Several of Miller's men are killed in incidents, but they do eventually locate Ryan in a French village. But in the village where the remnants of the 101st are defending a bridge, Ryan refuses to abandon his duty and his buddies to leave and go with Miller. 
Reluctantly, Miller decides to stay and join in the, def- in the defense. The prospects are bleak. Nevertheless, Miller organizes the men and plans the defense. The Germans show up with two Tiger tanks, several armored vehicles, and infantry. The fight for the vicious. The Americans fall one by one, and Miller won't give in, even as a Tiger tank approaches the bridge. The day is saved when a P-51 Mustang tank buster neutralizes the Tiger and American reinforcements arrive. In a climactic scene, Ryan leans over Miller, who has been fatally wounded, and hears him say with his dying breath, earn this, earn it. The implication is that he was to live a life that would be worthy of the sacrifice made to save him. The army was willing to give the lives of nine men to save the life of one. God was willing to give the life of his only son to save us all. It might have been possible for James Ryan to earn the sacrifice that had been made to save his life. But we could never earn the sacrifice God made to save us. There's nothing we could possibly do to earn it. The gift is too great, too invaluable. The gift of God's Son was so special, so precious, so invaluable that Paul proclaimed, and Dean read it for us this morning, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is a gift like no other, and it needs to be shared. So this morning, if we are to share the gift, it requires that we have the right perspective. Billy Graham once said, The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one, but we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how we we fulfill our responsibilities to this age. And to do that, we need to understand the plight of the lost. Not something fun to talk about, but something we need to understand. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes this, He, speaking of God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That, says Paul, is the plight of anyone who dies without Jesus. Um, How many of you have heard of C.T. Studd? He was a uh, British missionary. He said, Some wish to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to rescue... I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He understood the plight of those who would die without Jesus. And he wasn't willing for that to happen. I remember uh, 
When we were on the Oregon Pacific District, the pastor of the Church on the Hill, which was located in Mimble, Oregon, said, our job as a church is to empty hell. It's our job. Our culture wants to pretend that there is no hell, and if there is, a loving God would never send anyone there. There was a a man named Dr. Maurice Rawlings who believed that there was a hell. He was a celebrated coronary care doctor, and he, he wrote of his conversion to belief in a literal hell in a book called Beyond Death's Door. In 1977, he was giving a stress test to a man who was having chest pains. In the middle of the test, the man dropped dead in Rawlings' office. Rawlings and several nurses began to work on him. Dr. Rawlings began external heart massage while a nurse gave mouth to mouth. The patient would regain consciousness and then while Dr. Rawlings reached for, equi- reached for equipment, would die again. Each time he was resuscitated, he would scream, I am in hell. Dr. Rawlings thought he meant he was in pain from the CPR. You know, we kind of use that word. But then the patient gave a strange command, don't stop. This shocked Dr. Rawlings who said... When most patients recover, they tell him to take his hands off them because he is hurting them. Rawlings describes the man with a genuinely alarmed look on his face. He had a terrified look worse than the expression seen in death. This patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror. His pupils were dilated and he was perspiring and trembling. He looked as if his hair was on end. Then still another strange thing happened. The patient said, don't you understand? I am in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. This incident was so powerful that Dr. Rawlings would become a committed Christian and wrote a book chronicling patients who, after being resuscitated, told stories of demons, pits, and fire. He concludes by saying, Now I feel assured that there is life after death and not all of it is good. It's not a message we like to hear, but did you know Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? Because he didn't want us to go there. And so because of that, Jesus said this to his disciples, The harpist is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we need to understand the plight of those who die without Jesus. But we also need to understand the power of the gospel to bring change into their lives, don't we? The Apostle Paul Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We would say it cuts to the quick. In Isaiah 55.11 God says, So it is my word that goes out 
So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Maybe your own story is about the power of the gospel and how it changed your life. That's what I love about coming to celebrate recovery and hearing testimonies. It's about the power of the gospel to change lives, to transform, to renew, to set free. The gospel is powerful. Remember John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. The man was a slave trader. He was horrible. But Amazing Grace is his, story, is, is his own story about how the gospel of Jesus Christ completely changed his life. We need to understand the power of the gospel. If we are to share the gift, it requires the right passion. Think of all those things that we're encouraged to have passion about. You've seen the, the things on television, the testimonies about... Um, you know, the weight loss programs, the I eat these foods and if you buy them, you know, you lose weight. Or if you, you got to get enthused about those things. Don't you got to have passion for it? Look at me. Look at what this thing did for me. Or there are those things that tell you about how you can rich, get rich buying and selling real estate with no money down or Join this program and sell this product and get other people to sell it for you. I remember um, years ago, and I don't mean to offend anybody with this, but some friends were trying to recruit us into the um, Amway sales thing. And we went to a uh, Amway Gathering. I don't know what you call it. And I, rem I remember the impact that had on me because they were talking about, you know, first of all, they get up and ballyhoo all these people who have done really well and they're diamond directs and they're making tons of money and things like that. And then, you know, they, they got this to the kind of the, the cheerleading part of it and they were all standing up saying, we believe, we believe. Well, that's great, but I'm not sure you're believing in the right thing. But there's that passion that they try to build up because we know passion motivates us. You know what the first, first it says about the first century Christians in Acts 4.20? For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's like it just bubbles out of us. They had a passion. Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They had passion. Do we really appreciate the gift we have found in Jesus enough to want to share Him with others? 
Jeremiah said, the prophet Jeremiah said, His word in my heart is like a fire. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Again, C.T. Studd said, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. Boy, am I... He'll be saying, Boy, am I glad they're gone. Eric Little, remember Chariots of Fire? He said, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people near to Christ or we repel them from Christ. Requires passion. If we're to share the gift, it requires passion. But it also requires the right presentation. If we are to share the gift, it requires the right presentation. And I think we need to look at this in a couple of different ways. First, we might think of what we say or how we say it. And I think sometimes this is where we get overly concerned. We say things like, well, I don't know what to say or how to say it. What if I say it wrong? I don't know enough about the Bible or the list can kind of go on from there. If you have anxiety about this, let me state, um, uh, well, let's put it this way. Saying something for about Christ is better than saying nothing at all. Yeah. God can and will work through our attempts to point people in the right direction, no matter how inept our attempts may seem to us, if we're trying to point them to Jesus. In Luke 21, verse 15, Jesus said, For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And in first in, in first Corinthians one five, for in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. So we need to entrust the Holy Spirit of God to help us in those moments when the door of opportunity opens for us to to verbally share with others. In Luke 12, verse 11 and 12, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. By the way, it's okay, though, to be people of the Word and get that ingrained in your thinking. All right? God will bring those things back to mind for you when you need them. And our text today, the, the, the first Peter passage that, that Dean read, gives us some guidelines on how we share the gospel. It says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, but do this with gentleness and respect. We've got to be careful about how we come on to people with the good news of Jesus. We want it to sound like good news, don't we? 
not do this with gentleness and respect. And where it says, be ready to give an answer, the word for answer here is apologia, an apology. Not, of course, in the sense of an excuse, oh, I'm sorry for sharing Jesus with you. Um, but, but a defense of, of, of your belief in Jesus Christ. Here's why I believe in Jesus. Here's what he's done for me. That's why I believe. That kind of apology. That kind of defense. There, you know, there may be a tendency when de- defending the hope that's within us not to be either gentle or respectful. And unfortunately... I think that happens too often and then we wonder why we'd put people off, why they're not interested in church or what we have to say anymore. And I know, I know on the other side of that is the fact that Jesus said people will be offended by the gospel. I understand that. No matter how you present it, some people aren't going to want to hear it. So we have to be careful though that when we do share What Jesus has done in our lives, when we share the gospel, we do it in a gentle and respectful way. Because if we don't, if we don't present our defense, our apology in this way, we're much more likely to put people off than to convince them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.1, By meekness and the gentleness of Christ I appeal to you. And let's be honest about it. One of the things we need to be prepared for is opposition. How will we answer the critics? What will we do when someone gets angry at us? See, gentleness and respect helps us keep our emotions intact in those times. Respect allows for other person's views. And instead of calling those views or them crazy or stupid or whatever we might think we need we think of respectful ways to respond that will get them thinking about why their viewpoint might be something that we would question and then I I, I think the the second thing about our presentation doesn't have so much to do with a verbal defense how we say and what we say it. But how we present Jesus by the way we live our lives. See, nothing shares the gift more effectively than a life changed by his saving work. And it's obvious that your life has been changed. You can talk about Jesus all you want. You can quote scripture, you can recite religious platitudes, and you can go to church every Sunday. But nothing is more powerful than the witness of a changed life. A life that consistently lives up to the claims it makes. If we talk about being saved from sin and living like Jesus, then those we witness to better see the evidence of that in our lives. But ultimately, it's not about us, is it? We need, we're, the, the goal of all this is to point people to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. 
Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, speaking of Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. That's the only way, folks. There are not many ways to heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Talk about getting there. Jesus is the only way to get there. We don't save anyone. Jesus does that. And so always the goal of our testimony and the life we live is to point people to Jesus. There's a story told of a salesman who was talking about a sale he had lost. He said flippantly to his boss, Well, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. His boss corrected him, Your job is not to make him drink, but to make him thirsty so he will want to drink. We can't make anyone drink, but we can make them thirsty. I think that was in part the meaning of what Jesus said when he told us to be like salt in the world where we live. You know, salt not only seasons, but if you get enough of it, it makes you pretty thirsty. It's our job to make them thirsty so that they will want to drink of the living water we have to offer them through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's some suggestions. Oh, by the way, before I share these suggestions, I would tell you, you cannot share what you do not have. You cannot share what you do not have. So try sharing Jesus in one of these ways. And these, this is probably a short, short list. An act of kindness, a word of encouragement, invite someone to church, share something Jesus has done in your life, engage someone in conversation about spiritual things. Tell them why you celebrate Christmas. Sound good? Let's pray. Jesus, Christmas is great. We love it. It's a lot of fun. We like like a lot of the traditions and practices and songs we sing and gatherings that a part of our celebration of Christmas. But Jesus, help us never to place the emphasis on those things, but to remember that it's all about you. That you did not consider equality with God, the glories of heaven, something to be grasped, but you were willing to put on the flesh of humanity Be born of all places in a stable to some pretty ordinary folks whose names would never have been known except that you came into their family. You were willing to do that for us. And then you lived this life that showed people the the heart of God. I mean, just expose the heart of God. And you also said, I'm here to destroy the works of the devil, and boy, are we glad for that. 
And then, because this was the plan from the beginning, there at the manger, there was the shadow of the cross. And then, you allowed your own creation, human beings, you allowed them to put you to death. And you did that. You were broken. You were beaten. You shed your blood. You died. Because there was no, nothing else that could be done to redeem us from our sin. No, no animal sacrifices could happen often enough. We could not do enough good things. We could not live a good enough life. We could not pay enough. It was only Jesus. Only you, Jesus. The indescribable gift, the, the gift upon which no value can be placed, only you could redeem us from our sin and give to us then life that's truly life and the promise of eternal life with you when this walk on earth is over. You have given us that wonderful gift to share with others but Jesus, we can't share a gift we don't have. And so my prayer today is, if there are some here who have not received you as God's greatest gift to them, that in these moments, as we're praying together, they would say, Jesus, I put my faith in you as Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe that you're the only way to heaven. I believe that only your shed blood can cleanse me from the sin in my life. And I choose to make you my Savior today. And Father, then to, to know maybe for the first time in their lives, oh, this is what Christmas is all about. This is why we celebrate I know the Christ of Christmas in a personal way, and I now have the gift to share as well. Mm. Grant it, Lord Jesus, we pray. And bless us as we celebrate not only here together, within the walls of the church building, but Lord, as we celebrate out there in our own homes with our neighbors with our extended families, with whoever we might cross paths with, paths with, that we could share the greatest gift ever given, the indescribable gift of Jesus with. Help us to be faithful to that. May we be bold and courageous as the disciples of old were. When they were told, don't talk about Jesus anymore, the Spirit came upon them and they shared like never before. May that typify who we are as your people, giving the gift away. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.